stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and their mission is to secure the political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights in order to eliminate race-based discrimination and ensure the health and well-being of all persons. Um, the NAACP was founded yesterday, February 12th, in 1909, <laughs> so that's why I'm highlighting them this month. And um, one, let's see, one program that the NAACP champions that I want to highlight is the ACT SO program, which stands for Afro Academic Cultural, Technological, and Scientific Olympics. So this is an Olympics that includes competitions in STEM, humanities, business, and performing and culinary arts for African-American high school students. So I would encourage you to visit the NAACP website uh, to learn more about their really rich history and to also learn about local chapters and uh, different things like that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Grace. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, good morning, everybody. Hey, good, good uh, to be with you again today. And um, as you're coming in and as we uh, begin and keep going this morning, um, we're right in the middle of our, our week of the theme of It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, the last two days, we've had the privilege of hearing from uh, one of our very own, Susie Larson. Uh, and she's uh, one of the radio broadcast hosts uh, for Faith Radio. And uh, today we get to hear from another one of our very own who I'll introduce here in just a few moments. But uh, I want us to highlight today, we actually have a, a health fair uh, that's happening uh, in the Billy. So from 10 uh, from now, so right after chapel until uh, 2 uh, p.m., uh, you guys can go over there. There's a whole a host of ways to engage and to be involved, different raffles and drawings for prizes, and a lot of just really helpful information. And one of the things that I've been reflecting upon lately is just how we are holistic beings. And so um, our mental, physical, emotional, uh, psychological, spiritual, um, we, we're not these different compartments. Um, we're holistic. So if we're hurting in one area, it affects the rest of them. And so uh, one of the ways that, that I think that we uh, can help bring this into an acknowledgement in a fresh way is through uh, different spiritual disciplines. And, and uh, typically, uh, in the beginning of chapel, we have uh, a worship arts expression through song and through music. And we're actually going to be intentionally pulling away from doing that just on Wednesdays to create space to engage in worship in different ways. And so what we're going to do uh, now for the next few moments is engage in worship through silence. And then maybe that sounds antithetical to you. Maybe that sounds kind of ironic. How does that happen? How does that work? Um, I want to just share just a few, a few scriptures and then a few uh, ways we're going to participate in that. But I love Habakkuk 2.20 says, worship uh, in, the, in, the, in light of worshiping the Lord through silence and stillness, it says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And so that idea of who recognize the holiness of God and his presence, it leaves us speechless his beauty, his glory. Uh, Revelation 8, 1, the only place in scripture where it says heaven is silent. It says, when the lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And sometimes there's a silence where we can behold God with great and hopeful anticipation and expectation for what he will do next. 
One Christian author says silence invites us to leave behind the competing demands of our outer world for time alone with Jesus. Silence offers a way of paying attention to the spirit, a spirit of God, and what he brings to the surface of our souls. And so this idea of silence, uh, it doesn't feel like we're really doing anything. It doesn't feel productive, and that's kind of the point of it. Silence is a way to help us posture ourselves before the Lord to receive, to focus less on speaking and more on listening. And it's recognizing that once we are silent, um, we often get bombarded with a host of other thoughts and noises and information, uh, feelings, urges, appetites. And uh, that idea is that we, silence is something that we have to intentionally fight for. But yet silence was an integral part um, of, of the life of our Lord Jesus. And so um, I'm going to invite us to actually do something maybe, maybe kind of radical. And maybe we haven't, maybe, maybe you've actually literally never done this. But I'm going to invite you, some of you already have them out, so that's great. So if you do have them out, take a look up here. Everyone pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. And uh, here's what I'm going to invite you to do, myself included. Um, power off your phone. If you don't know how to power off your phone because you've never done it before, um, ask, someone to the next, ask, ask someone next to you and maybe they can help you out. Maybe you've never turned off your phone. The only time your phone has been off was when you first got it and you had to turn it on and set it up. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes for electronics, um, this is good. So this is not only good for your phone, it's good for you. Uh, we're so busy that even our smartphones are tired. Even our smartphones need a break. And we need a break. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and do that right now myself. All right. See that up there? Here's that swipe. Power off. <laughs> tuck, that, tuck that baby away and don't pull it out until after chapel's done. Power off, and here's what I'm gonna invite us to do. We're gonna take three minutes. Maybe it'll feel like a really long time for some of you, and we're just gonna be in silence before the Lord. If you wanna maybe just simply say, Lord, here I am. What do you wanna say to me this morning? Just listen. Just pay attention. If distractions come up, if burdens come up, just say, Lord, here, here, I need to give you this. Scripture says in Psalm 55, we can cast our burdens upon the Lord because he cares for us. What do you need to cast upon the Lord today? What do you need to let go of today? What do you need to surrender this morning? But focus less on you doing something or saying something and just listening and receiving. And as distractions come up, just bring them to the Lord. Just bring them to the Lord. So I'm going to give us three minutes. I have a scripture I'll read and pray and I'll introduce our speaker this morning. So on the count of three, three minutes, power off, to sit in silence and be with Jesus together. One, two, three. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Father, thank you for this brief moment as we worship you in silence together. We pray that you'll continue to bring the restoration 
student life staff team and um, many of you maybe don't know health services is underneath the umbrella of student life and health services the one who's really helped helping sponsor this week in the health fair today and uh, this morning's speaker has been on uh, been our one of our school nurses for the last three years Allison puts and uh, really excited to have her come and to share uh, really about a very integral part of our spiritual formation um, and so would you please give a very warm Northwestern welcome to one of our very own Allison Pitts. And let's uh, extend a hand over her as we pray for her and a hand up as we pray for ourselves. Father, thank you so much for bringing our sister and your daughter Allison here. Pray that you would fill her with the Holy Spirit. All that you have given her to share, I pray that you would do it with clarity, with conviction boldness, with grace, with truth, and Father, that you'd open up our hearts to receive, and that we would continue to encounter you together and become more like you as your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Justin. Uh, it's great to be in chapel with you here this morning. Um, as Justin mentioned, I am Allison Putz. I've been a registered nurse for nearly 27 years. Um, this is my third year, as you mentioned, here in, as a staff nurse in health services down in the basement of NAV. I love working with you young and vibrant people. It kind of lets me pretend like I'm still in college until I look in the mirror and realize it's not a 20-year-old gal looking back but we're not gonna dwell on that. Uh, I love the health service staff here who I have the privilege of working with, and I wanna tell you that they have a real heart for you. They have a real heart to care for you, and each of those professionals brings an immense amount of professional and life experience to the table. So we are blessed with that entire staff. I myself have worked in numerous areas of nursing, including adult intensive care, medical surgical oncology nursing, hospice, which remains one of the loves of my life to this day. Um, I've worked in assisted living and memory care, gastroenterology school nursing, and then for five years I was a forensic nurse, diagnosing and treating live victims of sexual assault and domestic violence here in the Twin Cities. As a result of all those different paths, and as a wife of 25 years that my husband and I just celebrated uh, in December, thank you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy amazing. As a mom of over 20 years to three uh, amazing young people, um, as a daughter, a sister, and a friend, I've developed numerous issues um, that I'm passionate about, and sleep happens to be one of those areas of interest. I am not an expert on all things sleep. Um, it's just that I've come to understand that healthy sleep is critical to our overall well-being. And while it doesn't have to be necessarily a passion of yours, I do want you to come to understand the vital importance of it and to begin to take command of your sleep. So by the time I'm done today, I want you to be able to identify some critical lies about sleep. 
I want you to be able to identify some detrimental effects of poor sleep and some beneficial effects of healthy sleep that can uh, impact your everyday life. Learn some practical steps that you can take to improve um, your uh, everyday life and your physical and mental health simply by managing your sleep. So let's get started. Turns out uh, that the American College Health Association has been surveying college students for years. And those surveys tell me that college students want information about sleep from their colleges. And that survey's been quite consistent over the past several years to tell us that you both want this information about sleep and that you're not getting this information about sleep. You can see the data there from 2018, all the people who want the information, all the people not getting the information. So I'm hoping today to change that just a little bit for you. A good portion of what I'm going to share with you today comes from the Center for College Sleep here in the Twin Cities. We actually have one of the leading researchers on um, the topic of sleep, especially in relationship to college students right here in our great city. Dr. Roxanne Pritchard is a researcher and teacher at the University of St. Thomas, the Center for College Sleep. She and her team continue to make great strides addressing sleep issues in college students related to academics, to health, athletics, and more. And her fascinating research is now informing the medical community um, of, of this critical educational piece that we seem to have neglected to adequately address over the last many years. We've spent a lot of time talking to people about nutrition and exercise, but we're now realizing that it's sleep that is something that's vitally important to our overall health. Turns out we've been trying to sit on a stool with two legs and realizing that that stool really has to have that third leg, sleep. If I had to sit here and demonstrate uh, me sitting on a stool with two legs, that would be quite comical, I'm certain. <laughs> College students themselves seem to have some very particular challenges when it comes to sleep. There can be that noisy environment, roommates with different schedules and priorities, social pressures to stay up late, no supervision of your bedtimes, you may have decided, suddenly decided that, you know, I've been sitting in this chair way too long and I have actually gained a few pounds this month, so it's time to exercise now. And it's 11 p.m. Not the best idea. You might be stressed by your academic load and other concerns of your life. There may be a mental health condition or a sleep disorder that is underlying. Had too much caffeine, a little too late in the day. Um, or you might take medications that um, impact your sleep. And then there's this little issue that can get in the way of our sleep called technology. The thing that we've powered off for just a bit here today. The challenges in college can be extensive, but ignoring or denying those concerns will not improve your sleep. We've probably all felt or looked like this from time to time, right? We kind of want to not live there seem to be some lies out there that many people connected to higher education have bought into. Garfield here has them. He's really good with sleep. Anywhere, anytime, and I'm with him. Um, but I don't want you to buy the lies about sleep. Many of you think it's kind of a rite of passage, and it's normal for college-age kids 
We think it will get us a little bit smarter and some better grades if we stay up a couple extra hours into the night. We believe that harder work and the less sleep we get will probably even make us a bit more successful. Unfortunately, that is a harmful attitude across many college campuses that plague our students, and unfortunately, sometimes our staff, our faculty, and even administration at times. I hear it with my own ears from time to time, and from people I respect a great deal in academia. Kind of goes like, you know, this is college. You don't expect kids to think in college. So much to learn, so much to do. You know, they're young, they're healthy, they're adaptable. They'll get used to it. They'll be fine. It's just a few years. And for those of us who've walked in these shoes and gone to college too, we might even throw in, you know, I survived, they'll make it. Uh, many of us have adopted this thinking that it is kind of this rite of passage, but that is the mindset that needs to change. That is the mindset that is hurting our physical bodies, our mental health, our grades, enrollment and retention, and it's taxing and stumping the adults who are trying to get you through these critical years. As far as the other two issues up there, we'll address the fact that poor sleep actually has a direct correlation to our lower grades, our lower GPAs, causing us to drop out of class, some out of college, and so much more. And then I want to address one other little elephant in the living room when it comes to college students. How many of you are here today with your parents? All right, well, the good news is that's normal, and that's good, and you're like, yeah, got rid of my parents. What you don't know is the folks are sitting at home going, yeah, got rid of the kids. <laughs> no, really, they love you, they do. Um, but this on your own thing, um, it's still really pretty new to most of you. And let's face it, the more you practice something, the better you get at it. Some of you had more or less input toward independence in your younger years, but most of you had some sort of guidance from your caretakers as to when to go to bed, when to study, when to get up in order to take care of your responsibilities. Therefore, you're still new at this newfound freedom. And trust me, I was your age at one time. I know that's really hard to believe. Um, and I, I know your habits, and, and you're really not very good at this. And that's okay. That's not a slam. It's coming to reality. I've got work to do, right? Even those of you who are going to graduate this spring, um, this independence is still quite new. You're going to be given a degree in whatever field that you studied. That doesn't, I know you guys know this already, but it doesn't make you killer in that field, right? That just gives you that license to begin to learn, to grow, develop, and eventually you'll bust open the fields of your, uh, the doors of your fields and your expertise, and you'll get amazing at these things. But that takes time. It takes time to learn those things, to learn to manage your life, including sleep. So I just want you to be okay with, you know, we are actually still in college, even if we're getting into our 20s or into our 20s, but we're not really that good with it. So we are going to keep learning. If you accept that now as young adults, you will be miles ahead of where many fully 
functioning adults are already to this day. Many have yet to figure this out, and it continues to impact their lives in terrible ways. I don't want you to be those students, the ones that leave as an adult, as adults from Northwestern and do not know how to manage your sleep because it can be very destructive throughout an entire lifetime. So in case you didn't know, sleep deprivation has actually been used as a form of torture for over 600 years. You would then think that would be something we'd be interested in avoiding, right? But no, many of us go ahead and play this little game. The problem is that most people don't know the extent of playing this game. Some people never grasp how expensive it is, how expensive sleep debt is, until it's cost them their physical health, their mental health, a job, a college education, a relationship, maybe even their family, and for some people, even their lives. And I know that might sound crazy and drastic to some of you, but poor sleep is very, very costly. The same Dr. Pritchard from, the U from USC looked at Elvis Presley's life and death, and she pretty much traces his demise to his poor sleep management. He begins performing late nights as a young man. He's awake and asleep all hours of the days and night, days at day and night, and that's long before all of the technology that allows us to do just about anything remotely. He then self-medicates to address his sleep problems. He adds some prescription meds to help with those problems. And soon his life is fully out of control until he has lost his life. The reality is that biologically, we are made to sleep. The Lord made us with the need to rest, to sleep, to Sabbath after our labors. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. In Genesis 2-2, God has just finished the creation of this beautiful universe. And the Bible says, The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. The main idea I want you to take from this passage is that God rested. We are made in his image and made to be like it seems that God stopped and took in and enjoyed the results of his hard work. And while it doesn't seem that God would need to rest, he made sure to do so anyway, to take in the enjoyment of his creation and to teach us to rest and enjoy communion with him. When we rest, we're being like God, we're being as he did. Mark 2, 23 through 28 Another passage I'd like to look at about the Sabbath. This verse begins, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through his grain field, and as disciples were wa walking along, he began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee says, Look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, and then he gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What I want you to hear is that Sabbath 
or rest is something that we as humans must actually take part in every day. It is the stark reminder that we are not God, that we are dependent upon him to function within the confines and limitations of our humanness and our human bodies. And therefore, he has blessed us with daily bread. He has blessed us. We cannot forego sleep and be a good friend or a good student. We cannot forego sleep without getting sick, doing stupid things, or feeling like we're going crazy. We cannot forego sleep and be in communion with God. Because we are not God, we can and must go to sleep. And guess what? The world goes on. It goes on without us. It's a reminder that it is not me that keeps this world afloat. It is not me who must juggle all these plates for life to go on. I can put my ego away and subsist. Now, it might be a little bit of a stretch to go from God to Waldo, but I'm just using our beloved children's books, Where's Waldo, to look at good old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you've ever taken a psychology class, you've seen and heard this one before. And we're going to ask, where is sleep on this chart? And there's little Waldo, even with his sleeping cap. I don't say sleep, but in this particular case, he should sleep with his little hat, especially in Minnesota. Here we find it at the base of our triangle, along with our physiological needs of oxygen, food, water, and a properly functioning body. Sleep is where that goes, not somewhere else. It's at the bottom. And if we don't address what's at the bottom of the triangle, we can't address and move up to the rest of the triangle. And here are some reasons. When we are not sleeping, we live in fight or flight mode with our sympathetic nervous system in charge instead of that rational processing part of our brain. That's what we look like when we haven't sleep, slept. Living with that sympathetic nervous system all up in arms makes us quite reactionary. So we look a little bit like this mouse who seems to have put his paw on the light socket. <laughs> We've all felt that way, right? Never had enough sleep. In addition, that poor sleep messes with our metabolism, spiking our blood sugar, making us cranky and sweaty and shaky and confused and wanting carbs and high calorie foods and putting us at risk for diabetes. No joke. This is what we do. To go with our crankiness and our high food, calorie foods, we then actually burn, listen to this, we burn our good muscle for better energy rather than burning our fat, the stuff I sure like to see disappear. But no, if I haven't slept, that's not good enough energy for my body. It'll burn my muscle. And since we didn't get our energy restored through proper sleep, our body will conserve more energy by making less antibodies. So now we'll get the sniffles and the flu and every other illness under the sun. That's one of the big reasons why. This just gets better every day, doesn't it? So now to top off this pathetic looking, sleep deprived soul, we can't think straight to save our lives. We can't make a good decision. 
So we're like, which way? We've all felt this way too, right? When there's just a barrage of one thing after another. And we just simply haven't slept until we start to look like, I don't know, whatever. I'm just going to sit over here in the corner, right? When we're getting less than six hours of sleep a night for the course of two weeks in a row, it makes us as impaired as someone over the legal blood alcohol level for intoxication. And the, the worst part of that is we're at too much of a deficit to recognize our inability just like someone who's intoxicated. We are functionally intoxicated. And you think, well really, I, I, I get around six hours of sleep, like I got my four hours of sleep and then I took this three hour nap. No, you got four hours of sleep that night and you gave yourself a little boost with a three hour messed up nap, okay? We kind of look like this little guy except he's cute. Trust me, when we're sleep deprived, we don't look this cute. He does, but we feel like that, right? We're pretty in a pretty sad state and we don't even know it, except everyone else around us does. Some realities for school, every night that we have poor sleep in the course of a week, it increases our chance of dropping a class by 10%. The newest research says it increases our chance of dropping a class by 10% and it decreases your hard-earned GPA spike by 0.02 by poor sleep each night. Each night you have poor sleep. My poor sleep has a greater negative effect of my academics than if I were a binge drinker using illicit drugs or if I had a documented learning disability. You put yourself at that much of a def deficit academically. Poor sleep. People with poor sleep have 17 times, that says seven, but 17 times more likely to screen positive for symptoms of anxiety, and nine times more likely to screen positive for symptoms of depression. Are you starting to pick up on why I care about your sleep and my sleep? We're gonna look at, we kinda looked at what happens, we're gonna look at why our body needs to sleep, okay? Our neurons have been firing all day long. Your body's been working all day long. So you have to go to sleep so that your body that the Lord gave you can work on things like cell growth and repair, work on inflammatory responses, send in the cleaning crew to do some vacuuming and emptying the trash bands. The gardeners come in and do some pruning. Your brain needs you to stop so that you can iron out some of those details you were struggling to figure out all day long to help you forget the crazy amounts of things that you were exposed to in the day that mean nothing and to help you remember the things that you really need to remember. Your brain and body need you to go to sleep to help you rationalize out your emotions, manage your metabolism, take a much needed shower at the end of the day. Don't we love a great shower at the end of the day? We actually now know that sleep is literally a time that your brain is flushed and rinsed of toxins and waste materials. And when you do not sleep, those toxins remain, the trash bins remain heaping and overflowing, the trees are overgrown and unhealthy, your body and your mind really become quite a mess. 
what's the primary preventative prescription? It is sleep, and I understand and realize that that is not as easy as it sounds for many people. So we're going to talk a little bit about sleep hygiene. It does not mean brushing your teeth before bed, which is important. You learned that as a toddler. That's um, another form of hygiene called personal hygiene. We're talking about sleep. Sleep is something you have to protect and guard like you would a relationship or a family member. You have to be tenacious about how you manage your sleep in this 24-7 world. We were truly blessed by electricity, but when that came, it took away that you work when the sun's up, you go to sleep when it's not, which was fantastic for our bodies and our minds. But then there was this explosion of technology allowing us to do life 24-7. And if you don't have a plan to combat all those opportunities to do life 24-7, you will be defeated by it. We're going to quickly look at Harvard's list on healthy sleep patterns. Number one, avoid caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, and other chemicals that interfere with sleep. Number two, turn your bedroom into a sleep-induced environment. <coughs> Inducing environment. Your dorm rooms can be a bit of a challenge, but you need to work to keep them quiet, dark, cool, temperatures down, white noise machines on if you need it, whatever you need to do to make that uh, sleep-induced environment, that's what you need to do. And your bed, this is important, has to be used for sleep alone. Not watching TV, Netflix, YouTube memes, emailing, texting, playing games, all those different things. You need to establish a soothing pre-sleep routine. It is important that you start winding down every day in the same kind of way to signal your body to do that. And warm bath or shower is fantastic because it shrinks up your heat and lowers it, and that's fantastic to help to fall asleep. Go to sleep when you're really when you are actually tired. If you crawl into bed and you struggle to fall asleep within about 20 minutes, you get up, do something soothing, non-electronic, in a low light, and then fall back into it. Don't watch your clock at night. Turn that away. If you're waiting and watching, man, I want to go to sleep and I woke up in the middle of the night, oh no, it's 2.30. That just makes it so much more stressful. Turn it away from you. If you do wake up in the middle of the night, do the same thing. Call out, do something soothing, call back in and get sleepy. Use light to your advantage. You need that morning light and a little bit of a sneak peek in the afternoon and I get it. Minnesota winters are not to our advantage, but steal it away anyway. And that's where if you can't, and the weather isn't cooperating, and the sunshine isn't cooperating, that's where those lights, those um, therapy lights come in. Um, your internal clock needs to be consistent. You need to make yourself a consistent um, internal clock. Healthy circadian rhythms, let's look back into that one. A healthy circadian rhythm well, this will work too. Um, it's vital that we go to bed at the same time. Your amount of sleep you need in the for your age group is seven to nine hours per night. You need to have that happen every night, seven days a week. When you're not, uh, we start to get these really inconsistent patterns. This is a beautiful one. Your body wants to 
rise and fall in a very natural way to help you be awake in the day and sleep at night. Let's go on. The next one is a picture of someone who is diligent about bedtime at a certain time, wake time at a certain time. Okay? Look at that beautiful rhythm. On the right is someone who is far less structured. Oh, I mean, I'll kind of do this. I'll get up at this time. Take a little nap. And you can start to see the fluctuation in that rhythm. If you go to the next slide, these are two students that are completely out of control. They're going to bed at one time, waking up early for a class, taking a two-hour nap, going to bed at 2 a.m., on and on. It looks like you took, uh, asked a toddler to draw you a picture of some mountains, right? Uh, that, the problem with that is that body is completely confused and has lost confidence as to when to go to sleep. It will work for you if you will give it consistency. Um, let's keep going on. Napping is fine if you nap uh, no later than 5 p.m. and your naps are only 30 to 45 minutes long. long. Go on. The um, evening meals need to stay light. Balance your flu fluid intake during the day so you're not drinking tons at night and having to go to bathroom at, at night. Exercise is huge and helpful. Um, it's helpful to fall asleep quicker and more soundly, but you shouldn't be doing that strenuous exercise um, late in the evening. And follow through. This is what happens when we don't follow through. We can have this beautiful structure person and, um, and just some really big holes. Uh, so it looks like we're about out of time. Let's go to the next one. This is something that we need to do more often. It's something that they were talking about early in chapel. We have to be still. We have to be still and recognize that we are not God and that he, uh, if we give it the time, give him the time and give us, give him some silence and give rest, he can manage our lives far better than we can. Have a great day and happy Valentine's Day tomorrow.